The scripture this morning is from Leviticus chapter 19, verses 1 through 4, and verses 11 through 18. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make for yourselves any gods of cast metal. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind. But you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. But in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. This is God's Word. Thanks. Well, we are almost done with everyone's favorite book now, Leviticus. We've been waking our way through this book for the last few months. I've been away the last two Sundays, and uh, we were kind of on a cruise. Um, we went to, um, with four other couples from this church and 2,500 of our closest couple friends, we went on this huge ship, um, Royal Caribbean, with the organization called Family Life, and we, um, it was kind of like a floating family conference. But Nancy and I flew down to uh, get on the boat on Saturday, and by, boy, about Sunday night or Monday, I was feeling really weak and uh, tired. And so uh, by Tuesday, I was pretty much just in bed. By Wednesday, I, was, I had the chills and the fever. By Thursday, I was on quarantine with influenza, uh, not the coronavirus. So if I told you last week I was quarantined on a ship, um, and then Friday night, Saturday morning around 8 a.m., I was off of uh, quarantine and uh, enjoyed my last day on sea. And then we got back in on Sunday. So it was not the trip Nancy and I were planning, for sure. Um, praise God, we had a little balcony so I could sit out and watch the ocean go by. But, um, was, you know, you sort of, I talked to the Lord about things like this, like, what's, what's this about? Like, what's the timing of this about, right? So I thought, at least I have something to share about Leviticus. It's all about being quarantined. So anyway, I, um, we are, uh, we've been talking about the book of Leviticus. It's a book that's difficult for us in our context to really grab a hold of and understand. And we've been, been tr- I've been trying to lay out for us how this book relates to us today. And 
what it speaks to us about is God's holiness. So let me just jump back, and I appreciate Brian and Tom Fremont, who did terrific jobs preaching the last two weeks, both of them about Leviticus. I just want to say that's, that they didn't have to preach on Leviticus, but it's clearly everyone's favorite book now, so can't get enough. Um, we've got to, again, see Leviticus in light of the fact that God says, I'm going to dwell among you. People come out of Egypt, they're enslaved, they are supposed to be God's people, but they don't have an identity that looks like God's people. So he says, I'm going to dwell here in your midst. Here's a tent, I'm going to live right in the middle of your community. But they had no context for understanding what that means. They, they knew something about this God who had led Moses to lead them out, but, but they really, as a people, didn't have an identity shaped. And so here they are in the wilderness, and God says, I'm going to plant myself smack in the middle of you people, and I'm going to demonstrate to you and, and show you what I'm like. And primarily, I have to demonstrate that I'm not like the gods you've heard about. I'm not like the gods of Egypt. I'm not like the gods of the surrounding groups that, that dominate the landscape. I'm different. I'm holy. And they're like, what, what, I don't, what does holy mean? What is that? And he says, well, I'm going to show you, and I'm going to teach you what holy means. So we've talked about over these last weeks the way Leviticus is set up with this symmetry. And it begins with the sacrifices, which again seem weird to us. I get that, to sacrifice animals. But God is trying to say sin matters. Holiness and sin cannot coexist. And so we have these first chapters that talk about the how to deal with sin. And then the end of the book deals with this other ritual of, of feasts and how we remember what God has done. And then we talked about, as we move inside, there's two sections on the priesthood. How do we mediate this? Who stands to speak for God? And, and how do we get to know God? And so he raises up this priesthood. And now we're into the third and weirdest layer of Leviticus, which throws people to no end. It's uh, the chapters involved are chapters 11 through 15, and then chapters again, 18 through 20. We're going to look at the center of the book next week, the Day of Atonement. But we are dealing with purity. And again, holiness has a lot of components to it. But when we look at Leviticus 11 through 15, we're dealing with laws concerning ritual purity. Now for us, it just doesn't compute because we don't look at ritual purity the same way they did 3,000 plus years ago. It's, it's a very difficult concept, and yet, I think we can, if we'll look carefully at it, I think we can understand this. So we're going to look at four questions. How did someone become impure, unclean in, in this era as they were looking at it? How did that happen? What was the remedy for that? And then thirdly, how does that deal with us today? Are we to obey this stuff? Are we to avoid this stuff? Uh, and then fourth... What do we, because we talked about with the priesthood that we now are called into the role of priesthood, how do we, as priests of God today, learn to deal with this, and what do we do with this scripture? So we have, uh, I'll, I'll take these two sections, ritual purity, this chapters 11 through 15, the corresponding is moral purity, 18 through 20. So that's what we're going to deal with here. So how does someone become contaminated or impure? There were kind of five basic ways. 
first is you eat or touch an animal that's considered impure. So that was one way you became ritually impure. Two, you came in contact with bodily fluids or you went through childbirth. That made you ritually impure. Uh, you have a skin disease. Like they call it leprosy. It's not what we would necessarily call as leprosy. It is some sort of contagious skin disease that made you ritually impure. Touch mold or fungus. You touch any sort of dead body. Those things basically he elaborates on them, Moses elaborates on them a lot in these chapters, but essentially it comes down to those five things and something like that. Now, why did those things make you ritually impure? The Bible doesn't always say. Sometimes the Bible frustratingly doesn't give us perfect information about why things are, and because our contexts are so different, we need to be careful. It does give us some clues. I was quarantined. I had to wear the little mask of shame walking to the um, clinic at the ship and back. And it was interesting watching people look at you, you know. You know, of course, you know, the coronavirus going on, everybody's reading about this cruise ship in, in Japan. And so here we are at the exact same time period, right? And people, you know, you could see. I felt like, unclean, unclean, as I walk around. And they were definitely on the elevator giving you a little space. And they basically said, walk right to your room, shut the door, don't come out for 48 hours. And, you know, you walk back. And then they, and, and the priests, the doctors, give you the sort of cleanliness blessing, you know, and say, you are now clean, you can take off your mask. And it's it's, it's not dissimilar, right? So there's some reasons for just sort of hygienically why things, there's, there's probably some very practical reasons in that. But that doesn't help us with things like why you don't eat falcons and why you can eat crickets, right? I mean, it, it just, people speculate about why those things, and there's, there's some potential reasons why, but but we ought not to speculate too hard as to why for them. They probably understood it a lot better than we do. Okay? So how, what I want to say is, as we read through these, these chapters among all the Bible, people look at and say, this makes absolutely no sense to me. If I just opened up Leviticus 11 through 15 and, and talked about, um, you know, read you a, a verse just at random, it would you may or may not be able to make any sense out of it. The remedy for these contaminations was varied widely. Sometimes it was just any kind of bodily fluid was considered contaminatory. But, and here's the thing I want you to remember about this. This is not saying these behaviors are necessarily sinful. Childbirth. A beautiful, natural, though I hear painful thing, does not, while it makes you ritually impure, it's not in any way sinful. And so, when you touch a dead body, sometimes it was simply a, a matter of um, an accident. You, if, you, if you just bumped into something, you could be ritually impure. And it would basically say you're impure for a few hours until the night. Or in the case of these leprosy or skin disease, it would say until the priest looks and, and they gave very specific, like when the disease looks like this on your skin or whatever, you're clean again. And so the remedies for that was sometimes simply time. Sometimes sacrifices were called for. Sometimes there was real punishment given, especially as we get into moral purity. Let's look at those they basically, in uh, chapters 18 through 20, break into kind of three 
sections of, of moral uh, purity. And the, the difference here is that we can, if you read 18 through 20, in many cases, it's a, it's a lot easier to determine because there are sinful behaviors included in these as well. Here are the things that uh, cause you to be morally impure. When you disregarded the poor, the marginalized, that part that Bud read this morning where it talked about don't put something in front of the blind or the lame, people we would consider special needs. It's saying we as followers of Yahweh, of Jehovah, need to walk differently in these areas of community. And so uh, you became impure when you ignored laws dealing with others. Uh, you were, the, the people of God were to have a high degree of sexual integrity, and you read uh, chapters about very specific things that made you impure in God's eyes. Thirdly, you talked about honesty and justice in all relationships, in commerce, politics, and in the community. Things like this made you impure. And there again were remedies given and sometimes severe penalties even to death. So these things, these chapters, we have to handle with great care. Why? You have eight chapters of Scripture, and it ranges from things that everyone in the community at some point, sometimes daily, experienced impurity. Some of these behaviors, they go all the way to sacrificing your children to the foreign god Molech. It talks about how abominable it is to take your children and do what the surrounding nations were doing, to sacrifice and kill their own children. Talk about a wide range. And so, for us, as we lay it out, not every behavior listed in Leviticus in this is sinful. Ritual impurity, moral impurity, as you read through those eight chapters, you have to read carefully, because You can't tell just because it's on the list whether it's sin or not. Some is and some isn't. So I want to take just a minute because this chapter, these chapters become a straw man that if you haven't heard yet, you will hear. Uh, The internet is full of cut and paste of of something that deals with um, these particular chapters. So let me just show you how this argument works. The argument is, in these eight chapters, you say Christians are basically hypocrites. Because look, you obey, you say, oh, it's fine to eat uh, shellfish, and that's forbidden in the scripture. So that's fine, but you don't have any problem having your shrimp cocktail or having your bacon when pork is done. But you see right there it says, and, and then they'll name some other sin, particularly of sexual nature, and say, but, but you know, you, you, that's fine. So you're hypocrites because you choose the scriptures you like and choose the scriptures you don't like. Well, hold on a second. If you hear that, back up just a second. Because as we've just said, not every scripture in here, this is, it's, this is not a list of sins. Just because this is on the list doesn't make it either sinful nor not sinful. You've got to look at the whole counsel of Scripture when we're looking at something. You can't pick and choose one verse from either side. And so when we look at that, we have to look at what does the Bible say as a whole? What is its point in this? 
So, well, I'm not going to go through eight chapters of Scripture and try to tell you because I, I think there's good reason. Some people look and come out of it's, it's okay to eat certain things, that those things have been released because of comments on the New Testament that says, and some people say, well, this is something we need to wrestle with. Other areas are completely condemned throughout Scripture without reservation. And so we have to carefully look at Scripture from beginning to end and say, Lord, what are, what are we to avoid? How are we to reflect you? Here's the question that hasn't changed or the statement that hasn't changed since God said this. He is still holy. We are still called to be a holy people reflecting him. That has not changed a bit. Now, how does Leviticus fit into this and how do we as priests do this? Well, let, let's look. If you've got your Bible, I want you to flip to 1 Peter chapter 1. Because Peter brings up Leviticus and makes some comment on what it means for us today to be a holy people. I'm going to begin reading at verse 13. Therefore, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, prepare your mind for action, be sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. We've been made right with God, not because we practice certain sacrificial things anymore, that we now have open access to God Listen to what it says in the book of Hebrews. It says, Therefore, brothers, Hebrews chapter 10, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, this is priest language, this is high priest language, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The book of Leviticus is set. We know from all the chapters that one of the primary things was to say, you people of God are not to be like the people around you and you are not to look for your standards of behavior among anyone who lives in the land of Canaan. You're not to look at them and compare yourself and say, we want to be like them. We want to choose this way that they act, or we want to choose this way. You are to look at me, 
And so for them, he gave them dietary laws, he gave them certain hygiene things, he gave them moral law to live, and he said, this is the way you are to separate yourself and live differently. And we, it's hard to contextualize some of the, the ritual laws to live, but what I can tell you is this, we as the people of God today, 2020, are challenged We have a huge challenge as to whether or not we are going to look at our culture and decide to live as they live. And you can pick any portion of culture. Our culture is confused. Our culture has a lot of uh, things that they promote. And and, uh, this is is all over the spectrum. And we as the people of God, our first loyalty and our first loyalty idea is to look at scripture and to decide are we going to live in relationship to what how the world says is acceptable are we going to live according to the way jesus christ lived and died and the way the scripture lays it out for us now one of the things that is going to be is a challenge to us is that we live in a time i think we all can see that culture is sort of like a, a, a flood you know it washes over us and you know, one of the things I so appreciate and why this church has supported Young Life for so many years and I, is that they, they haven't lost their mission focus. Their mission is to introduce young people and give them an opportunity to hear the gospel and to be loved. And for us as believers, this is our call. Are we going to live in a way unapologetically to say, look, I am a believer in Jesus Christ no matter what. And with that comes a lot of um, calling to be holy. And in particular, when we look at the ideas of of moral uh, moral purity, are we going to treat people, not as enemies, but are we going to treat people who can't repay us and who maybe the world despises or thinks less of, are we going to rescue the poor, the innocent? Are we going to be someone who says, look, I'm going to treat someone the way Jesus would no matter what you say about them? Are we going to live in a society that says, you know, sexually anything goes? No, we live according to the gospel, what the gospel says. That it's, it's not okay that we don't take our cues about anything except what Jesus teaches and what the Scripture teaches because if we compromise on that, we have nothing. If we don't, we have everything. And throughout the time that people have been following, when they followed in pre-before Christ, when they followed Scripture then, we look at the way God responds to people who walk in holy obedience to him. And I don't know, you know how, how hard or easy it will be. You know, it's shifted in my lifetime somewhat. And I don't, I don't know what the future holds. But what I want to call you to is this. We serve a holy God. And he wants and desires his people just like he did in the days of Leviticus, to reflect Him by their holiness. And in that, I truly believe that we can see God move 
and God redeem and God do things that he could never do if we try to make ourselves acceptable. And again, this is not political, this is not social, this is, this is scriptural, this is biblical. Be who God has called you to be. Be above reproach. Let your behavior be different. I know there will be times where some of, some of us will suffer ridicule or some of us, they'll, they'll think, oh, you're some sort of freak. You're something different. I want us to have the courage to say, I am different. I'm different because Jesus Christ is alive and he's changed everything. And you'll be surprised how not everyone some people, it will, but you'll be surprised how many people will line up behind you and say, man, I, I need something like that. I need answers. Because this world, I can tell you guys, it isn't going to give you answers that satisfy. At the end of the day, it, it, nothing will satisfy that this world has to offer. And when, when you're on your when we're on our deathbed, I don't think we're going to be saying, oh, man, I sure wish the world had loved me more. Let's just pray. Lord, through these faulting and halting words, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us about the need to recognize you as the same God yesterday, today, and forever. Forever pure and holy, made up of a, of a love energy so great that just coming into your presence burns us up. And Lord, help us not to play games and have one foot in this world and one foot outside and think we can please the world around us. Lord, help us not to fight with weapons of this world, but to fight with the love of Jesus Christ and to and to disarm people by loving them right where they are. Help us not to be sucked into lives of unholiness, Lord. Help us to understand how we live in relationship to what you've called us to be now that the veil is torn apart and that we're not subject to the sacrifices and the things that the people in the Old Testament had to do, but we get to walk and see you in the very inner court that you through Jesus have made a way to see the face of God. Help us, Lord, to take our cues from everlasting Scripture and to set our course with courage 